Well, it's great to see you this morning. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Got to spend some time with family and enjoy some good food. And man, man what a great football game, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, no, no, I, you guys thought I was talking about Ohio State, Michigan. Oh, sorry. I, I'm at the game last week where the old guys beat the young guys. No, yeah. yeah, that was good. Good Sunday last week. A lot going on. Don't forget some of those announcements that Jeff made. Hey, the You've Been Gifted cards are out there. You want to jump on grabbing some of those, taking them out, have an impact on our community this, this uh, Christmas season. Don't forget, too, if you remember to grab one of those ballots and get that turned in. Upward is going on, starting to get going, and we need coaches. We got 400 kids. Last I heard, 400 kids signed up. We need some, uh, some people to help with that. So if you can help, please uh, go to the information desk or see Amy Richter. Let's get this done. 400 kids, think about that. 400 families, the impact for Christ. So great opportunity. Thanks so much if you gave in the last couple of weeks to OCC, Operation Christmas Child. As a church family, we gathered over 1,900 boxes. That's great, isn't it? And we, we really appreciate. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving and thank you for serving. If you help do some of that, we really appreciate it. Next week, we start our Christmas series. Pastor Kevin will be here to get it going, so look forward to having you back then. Today, though, we close out Genius. We've been talking about some of the encounters people had with Jesus, and we're going to look at one more today. It's in Luke 17, so if you have a Bible, you can get there. Luke 17, there's a story here about 10 lepers who came in contact with Jesus. And we're going to start reading in verse 11, where it says this. While he was on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. From this point on, actually a little earlier, he's been taking the steps to head to Jerusalem to die for us. So as you read these stories, if you're reading through Luke and you're reading through all these stories, you got to keep in mind, he's already on his way to offer himself for us. While he's on his way to Jerusalem, he is passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him that he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go, your faith is has made you well. So Jesus is traveling between Samaria and Galilee. He's doing what what most people would do when they were traveling from Galilee up to the north to Jerusalem, and that is he's traveling around Samaria. We know there were times that Jesus went through Samaria, but this time he's traveling around along the border of these regions. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's experiencing actually both these cultures as he travels to Jerusalem. Becky and I just got back from vacation a few weeks ago, and we went down to southern Texas, southwest Texas, uh, to Big Bend National Park. Anybody been to Big Bend National Park? One person, two, two people there. Nobody else, which is what I thought. You know, nobody, Big Bend is in the middle of nowhere, the least visited national park in the country. 
That's why we wanted to go. <laughs> Sound like fun. So we went down, we rented a little place for the week and, and uh, just spent our time uh, traveling through and looking at different things and, and uh, did some hiking and stuff. It's 80% of the park's desert. Uh, uh, there's a Chisos Mountains range that's in the park. It's sort of cool. You can go up in, into it and there's some beautiful scenery there. And there's a border crossing actually in the park. You're right down on the Rio Grande. So there's a border crossing there and uh, sort of an unusual border crossing. We, w- we went one day, we went through the gate, went down, walked a little bit, maybe a quarter of a mile down to the Rio Grande. And, and as soon as you get onto the bank, you look across the river, you can see there's four or five Mexican guys over there. And one of them jumps in a boat, a little rowboat, rows over to you. And for $5, he'll give you a round trip ticket. Across the river and back. And, but you gotta, you got to get back. If you're going to go over, you got to get back before 5 o'clock because the border closes. So um, unless you want to spend the night, you need to get back. So we, we went over, and, and once you get over on the other side, then it's about three-quarters of a mile to a little town through the middle of the desert to this little town called Bokias. And you, they gave you a number of options. You can walk. They don't really tell you that. But you can walk to Bokias, or you can give some more money. And you got options of riding in an old pickup truck or getting on a horse or getting a burro. And I'm thinking, well, I can do an old pickup truck or a horse anytime. I'm in Mexico. I want a burro. <laughs> and, and, so, and so I told him, Get, Becky, we need two burros. They brought out two burros. Not exactly things of beauty, um, but we got on those things. They're with saddles like rocks, I tell you. And, and, they, and we rode those things into Bokias and then got off, had to go through customs. There's a, customs was a little trailer. And um, you went to one guy at a desk and they didn't speak English, I don't speak Spanish, so you know we're just getting by. And, and he's looking at our passports and stamping them and all that and then he sends me to the other end of the trailer where there's another guy. That guy looks up at me and he goes, $2. $2. I'm like, $2? And, and then he wants two more from Becky. And I'm thinking, and I, I got this, I know I had this look on my face like, why am I paying $2? <laughs> and so he, he looks at me, he goes, $2 for your protection and for the environment. <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, I just rode to the environment. It's just desert. You know, this hasn't changed for thousands of years, and it's not going to change if you split this, and this is $1 for the environment. Not doing a whole lot. And then $1 for my protection. <laughs> you know, what kind of protection am I getting for a buck? <laughs> and what are you protecting me from? And, and so... It's just a little bit different, you know. I paid. We went ahead and paid the money, and we went into Bokias and had lunch there. Went and, and you know, looking down the canyon towards the Rio Grande is really pretty. And and uh, then the little kids running up to you trying to sell their stuff. You know, you go to a different culture and things are different, right? And uh, you experience some different things. And and but Jesus is here. He's experiencing two two different cultures. He's as he walks along this border, but two different cultures that literally hate each other. There's a long history of, of, of struggle between them. 
When we go back into the Old Testament, after King Solomon died, the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was constantly rebellious against God. Constantly, They never had one good king in all their years. In 722 BC, the Assyrians came in and defeated this kingdom, and they took away a bunch of the people, and they brought in a bunch of pagan Gentiles into the land. That's the way they typically did to try to gain control of the land. As, as they brought in these pagans, they brought in their idols with them, and the remaining people of Israel started worshiping, mixing the worship of these idols with the worship of the God of Israel. They've got this mixed worship going on, and then they started intermarrying. And out of those marriages came a people that became known as the Samaritans. The southern kingdom years later fell to the Babylonians. Babylonians did the same thing, took away a bunch of people. For 70 years they were gone. After those 70 years they were allowed to come back and start rebuilding Jerusalem. But when they did that, the people that were up north didn't like that and they kept giving them resistance. And so there's problems. And the people in the south, they don't like the people in the north because, because they've got this mixed thing going on. They're, they're not happy with them. So you've got all this bitterness going on that builds up for another 550 years until we get to this point. Jesus is there along this border where these two hating cultures keep bouncing against each other. There's not only, though, this cultural issue in this, in this story, but there's also this issue with leprosy. We're talking about 10 leprous men. And leprosy, the term was used for a number of different skin conditions, the worst of which was what we know as leprosy, where, where people can have these horrible disfigurations of extremities in their faces. And, and, and basically, the way they handled it back then was to say, anyone who had leprosy, they're cut off from the rest of society, you know, sort of out of sight, out of mind. And, and, and they were usually viewed by others as being under God's judgment. And we do know, in fact, from the Old Testament, that they were considered ceremonially unclean. So they had to stay at a distance, at least six feet from a healthy person, they had to stay away. And if the wind was blowing from their direction, they had to stay at least 150 feet away. So as Jesus approaches the cities, these guys are on the outside they're on the edge of town. These pathetic, lonely outcasts from society. And as they see him coming, they start yelling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Immediately, you notice some things about what they're saying. First, they recognize the authority that Jesus had. By calling him Master, they're acknowledging, they, have, they know that he has the power to heal and how would they know that? Well, he's healed a bunch of people and worked a bunch of miracles up in Galilee where he's coming from. And stories have prob probably drifted down to them about how he raised the dead daughter of a synagogue official and how he fed the 5,000, how he healed a woman who just touched the hem of his clothing, how he cast out demons and, and how he calmed the sea. And now they have one glimmer of hope, these lepers. They have, they have one glimmer of hope. Have, have mercy on us. Mercy. It's, it's what you need when you have no hope, right? No hope in anything. No hope in yourself. No hope in circumstances. No hope in chance. 
and they had none except possibly now Jesus. And so they're asking for mercy. See, they, they recognized how desperate a situation they were in, how hopeless they were. That's the thing about real faith. It recognizes our situation. It recognizes who Jesus is, recognizes what he can do, and it recognizes how desperate we are without him. And did you notice Jesus, he didn't touch them. He doesn't command directly their healing. Instead, he tells them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Sort of ironic, these priests who had earlier rejected Jesus, now they're going to have to validate the fact that he had healed these men. These priests who served as, as sort of a healthcare inspectors, purity inspectors. And so these, these, these lepers are on their way. And as they're, they're, they're going, they're cleansed, they're healed. Can you imagine that? If that was you, if you've been pushed out of society and you're left only with a bunch of others that are in the same condition, all outcasts, and you've got no hope, and then you, you hear about Jesus and how he's healing people, and maybe you hear that he's headed your way. And then someone points out, there he is. And this is your one chance, one chance in life for everything to change. For you to be able to rejoin your family and the rest of society. Just hoping. And so you cry out, have mercy on us. And Jesus doesn't respond the way you might think. You might expect him just to say, hey, you're healed. No, he says, go show yourself to the priests. And so they do what they're told because he's their only hope. And as they're going, they're cleansed. So their healing it takes place at a, at, a, at a distance. It takes place at a later time because the God of the universe can do things like that, right? He's not limited to time or space. And Luke uses several different terms here to describe what happened to them. They're healed, they're cleansed, they're made well. However you want to put it, they're good to go. They're, they're, they're off to do what many of us would do. First, they show themselves to the priest and then probably to celebrate. After all, that's what Jesus told them to do, right? Go show yourself to the priest. And so they're gone, all except this one guy. The one guy who returns, coming back because to him, there's something bigger going on than even this healing. He's glorifying God with a loud voice. The second time he's raised his voice, right? First time he's crying out for mercy. The second time to glorify God. And he falls on his, on his face at Jesus' feet in submission and reverence. Because that's what people do when they see how completely messed up they are and how good God has been to them. When we really understand those things and when we really see ourselves and see these truths for all they are, the only response that even begins to seem adequate is to fall on our face at his feet. That's the only response. I'm convinced that's what we'll do when we see him.
I love that song that people sing, I Can Only Imagine. You know, what are we going to do? It was sung at my mom's funeral. I can only imagine when we see Jesus, what do we do? But I'm convinced really the answer to that isn't all that hard. I don't think, I don't think I'm going to dance. Sorry. <laughs> I think what we'll all do, what we'll all do is fall on our face in his presence. Because we'll understand fully how messed up we've been and how good he's been to us. This guy's on his face before Jesus, glorifying God. And then we're told in verse 16, again, and he was a Samaritan. And just sort of brief to the point, here's this guy. He's got two issues. The one issue has been dealt with. The one issue, the, the leprosy, it's taken care of. He, but this guy's a Samaritan. He's not just a social outcast. He's also a spiritual outcast. And Jesus, he's not going to leave him that way, though. He asked three questions, three rhetorical questions. Say, weren't there 10 cleansed? I think I sent 10 guys away. And where are the other nine? Well, Jesus, they went off to see the priests. They're not coming back. They're all healed. And you know what? I'm sure if you asked them, hey, are you grateful for what he did for you? I'm sure you'd, they'd say Yes. But they're not taking the time and they're not making the effort to actually go back and say thanks, which says something about them. See, I think all these guys had faith, a certain level of faith. They believed Jesus could heal or they wouldn't have asked him. And all of them were obedient or they wouldn't have gone to show themselves to the priests. So they all had some level of faith and obedience, which is good stuff. That's, that's good. It's, it's sort of like the old hymn, trust and obey. They had that down. They trusted and obeyed. But Jesus was looking for something more, wasn't he? Something that showed their heart. Something that showed who, who they really were. He was looking for gratitude, for thankfulness. Someone who had praised God for his goodness. And so he asked this other question, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Here's this guy. He's rejected by society because he's a Samaritan, rejected because he was a leper. And now the only one that comes back is not only a man of faith, and not only a man of obedience, but also a man of gratitude. So Jesus says to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. But he can't, Jesus can't be talking there about his leprosy. That's already taken care of. And the Greek word that Luke uses here is not one that's already been used, not one that's been used for being cleansed or being healed. It's sozo. It's, it's, it's sometimes often in the New Testament translated to save. See, more important than his physical healing was the miracle that went on of his spiritual healing, his faith in coming back to give thanks. And through that faith, he is saved. And I think here's the deal. Here's the point of this, I think. There are some people 
who only want to get what they can get from Jesus. They're like the other nine. And they'll ask from him because they believe him to a certain extent. They'll even obey him to a certain extent. But they're only interested in that superficial, temporal benefit that they can get. And every one of us receives those things from God, right? We all do. Every person does. The Bible tells us the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Good and bad, we all get God's goodness. Jesus said in Luke 6, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He's kind to the ungrateful. But so many of them haven't really committed themselves to him. And so they're good with God as long as he meets their wants. As long as he does that, they're going to they're gonna have good things to say about him. But the day that doesn't happen like they want, they're out the door. They're looking for something else to fulfill their wants. They're maybe even talking about how they're sort of angry with God because he didn't do what they thought he should. But what's God looking for? Is he looking for faith? Absolutely, he's looking for faith. I mean, Hebrews tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God. He, he wants faith. We, he's looking for someone who will, who will believe his word, believe what he said about himself, believe what he said about us and how we can come to know him. He, he's looking for faith. Is he looking for obedience? Yeah, sure. The Old Testament tells us for Samuel 15, that obedience is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. What he's saying there is sacrifice was, uh, was part of their worship, right? And he's saying, hey, I don't want you to come and just worship when there's no, there's no life behind it. I'm not looking for you to show up on Sunday morning and then the rest of the week you just live any way you want to live. That's Worship needs to be backed up by the way we live, by our obedience to his word. To obey is better than sacrifice. Yeah, he wants obedience. And he also wants thankfulness. Because it places us where we should be before him. On our knees. Acknowledging who we are and who he is and what he's done for us. Wednesday night at our at our Thanksgiving service, Michael read some verses out of Colossians that are so descriptive of his gift to us. It's, they're so good. I just want to look at them again briefly. Colossians 1, verse 12 says this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance. Let me ask you something. Did, were you qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints as a as a as a unbeliever were you qualified to share in that apart from Christ absolutely not right you didn't earn it you didn't deserve it there's no way that you were qualified but God 
out of his mercy and love for us, qualified us. It reminds me of other verses in the Bible where we're told that we're worthy, made worthy. Oh, I'm not worthy on my own. We've got to keep this balance in, in mind. We've got to keep this balancing truth in mind when we look at Scripture. On our own, completely unworthy. But God made me worthy. If we just focus on the fact that we're unworthy, we'll, we'll all be all depressed, right? Because <laughs> we're, we're, we've got no hope. If we just focus on the fact that I'm qualified, that I am worthy, that, then we get all arrogant. But if we keep both of these things in mind, it keeps us balanced. I'm unworthy. On my own, I'm completely unworthy. But God made me worthy. On my own, I'm completely unqualified. But he qualified me. Great news. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us. From the domain of darkness, he rescued us. Why did we need to be rescued? Because we are in serious trouble. He rescued us. He took us out of the domain of darkness where we were living and all that sin and all that mess. He rescued us. He saved us because we were like those lepers. We needed mercy. We had no hope. But he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We joined in the kingdom. He put us there. We became co-heirs with Christ. You know how good that is? You know what that's like? In the last three days, I think I have uh, eaten an entire pumpkin pie by myself. <laughs> it's good. I did it one piece at a time. Okay. You know what? You have a pie. Generally, you get a piece of it, right? You want some pie? Here's a piece. You don't get the whole pie. You know what it means when it says we're co-heirs with Christ? It means you get the whole pie. It's not like, hey, you're going to get a little piece, and you're going to get a little piece, you're going to get a little piece. It's not like that. We all get to share in the entire pie. That's how good it is. He transferred us from the domain of darkness where we were living in all that junk, and he brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son, and we get to share it all. In whom we have redemption. You know what redemption is? It's the fact that he bought us. We were in the slave market, and he went in and bought us. He redeemed us. The forgiveness of sins. You know what forgiveness is? It's release. So he bought us where we were, and brought us out, and you know what he did? He released us from our sin. We no longer have to serve sin. That's what Romans 6 tells us. And we know we are no longer going to be judged. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, according to Romans 8.1. Good stuff. And then down in verse 21, it says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, we were like those lepers, especially the Samaritan, hostile in mind, alienated, engaging in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you. We needed to be reconciled to him. He, didn't, he wasn't reconciled to us. We were reconciled to him because we're the ones who messed up. 
Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So someday we get to stand before God holy and blameless and beyond reproach. What does all that mean? Well, we could talk about different nuances to those terms, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. But I, let me tell you what I think Paul was just saying there. He's going, in absolutely every way, you're going to stand before him and, it, and you're going to be pure. I was formerly alienated and hostile in mind. I was an enemy of God. And he's, I'm going to stand before him absolutely pure. And I'm still a mess up. I'm going to get to stand before God holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Why? Because he rescued me. Because the Father qualified me. How is that possible? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was completely innocent in himself. But he became sin on our behalf. He took on all of our sin. As he hung on the cross, all of our sin was placed on him. Peter tells us, he bore our sin in his own body on the cross. All of our sin placed on him. And then his righteousness, the righteousness of God himself, was placed on us. Awesome. That's awesome. The righteousness of God was given, credited to us. How good is his salvation for us? Something is wrong in our walk with him if our walk isn't marked by regular expression of thanks. If we're just going day to day on our way, and we're living life sort of on a level of faith and a level of even obedience, but we're not stopping to fall on our knees and fall on our face to thank him for what he's provided. Let me ask you, when was the last time you found yourself on your face before him to just thank him for loving you into his kingdom? At some point, if you're a follower of Christ, you cried out to him for mercy. And he provided it for you. It should be our regular habit, ongoing, to express to him and cry out to him for, with thanksgiving for what he has done for us. If you've never come to that point, in just a couple of minutes here, we're going to close the service. And right back here in this room, room we call room one, 
There'll be pastors there. We would love to talk to you about how you can come to a point of placing your faith in Christ and knowing what it is to walk through life with him and knowing for sure that one day you'll stand before God completely pure. We talked to you about that and shared with you how you can take that step. But if you're a believer, my challenge to you today is this. Make it your habit to live a life of gratitude. Especially make it your habit to find yourself coming to him with thanksgiving for taking you and bringing you into his kingdom. What an amazing God. What an amazing salvation we've been given. Take the time. Make the effort to express your gratitude. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love, for your grace. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you, Father, for crossing all kinds of borders to reach us, to bring us into your kingdom, to make us right before you. Thank you for the assurance, the confidence we have that one day we'll stand before you and all things will be right. And God, I'd pray for those that may be here who have never taken that step, Father, that today they'd, they know what it is to walk with you. They'd trust you. They'd ask you to rescue them. Thank you for your love again, Father. We love you today. Help us to be faithful as we leave here today. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here today. We'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday.